This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. And so I want to ask you this. Do you, do you realize that we live in a, a pretty skeptical society? You realize that, right? You guys, uh, you guys get hit with that every single day. I mean, you see things every single day that you're a little bit skeptical about. You're like, eh, I don't know about that, right? Think about this. I, I, think, I think the fact that we live in a skeptical society, it's, it's the reason why things like conspiracy theories exist, right? Now, I just said the, that phrase, that word, those words, conspiracy theories, and some of you guys, like, ears perked up because you're like, oh, I'm all about these. I love these. And some of you guys are like, oh, gosh, not another conspiracy theory. But I think it's, I think it's interesting. I, I, I got to bring it up for a second because it's so prevalent in our culture today. Uh, there's one conspiracy theory that I heard recently that I thought was very compelling, and it just really stuck out to me, and it's, it's become one of my favorite conspiracy theories. And it really, it, it happened during the pandemic lockdown. I'm a, you have to tell me if you've heard of this before, but apparently there are some people that believe that the lockdown was put in place by our government for a really nefarious reason, and that reason was this, was that all the birds in our country are actually robots that spy on us. And so the pandemic lockdown was this way to get us all in our homes so that the government could change the batteries on the birds. This is for real. Look this up. People actually believe that this is true. I literally just said the phrase, change the batteries on the birds. It's crazy. We are skeptical as a society, aren't we? Like, the list goes on and on of, of conspiracy theories, doesn't it? Like, there's one theory out there that says that, that Walt Disney, before his death, he actually had himself cryogenically frozen. Like, think about that right now. Like, Walt Disney right now is a popsicle somewhere just waiting to be thawed out and come back to life, apparently. Or, or if it's not that, there's another one that, that actually says, like, the country of Finland doesn't exist, how random is that? But there's actually a group of people who believe that Finland is just like not on the map. Like it just doesn't exist. You see, I, I think conspiracy theories, they just prove how skeptical we can be as people. I mean, these people are, they're, they're, there's people that are skeptical about the actions of our government. There's, and I get that. There's people who are skeptical about the advanced technology of Disney, and I get that. There's people who are skeptical about the existence of land. I guess I get that. But skepticism goes beyond conspiracy theory, doesn't it? What if I told you this? What if I told you right now that I, Justin Gill, am actually related to the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln? How many of you would believe me? I'm actually, you can raise your hand if you believe me. How many of you believe me? How many of you think I'm trying to pull a fast one on you? Well, check this out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a little bit of picture here. This is my family tree. And it, it just so happens that my family tree, we go way back into the Shipley family. And the Shipley family comes up here and actually married a Captain Abraham Lincoln, which was Abraham Lincoln's grandfather. And obviously, it leads down to here to Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd. So believe it or not, I actually somehow, crazy enough, am related to Abraham Lincoln. Now, what if this? What if, what if I told you this? What if I told you that right now, I'm walking around this table? Would you believe me? I would hope that all of you would believe me, right? 
because you're seeing that I'm doing it right now in person. It's a, you see, it's a lot easier, a lot more of you probably believe that I was walking around that table than you believe that I'm related to Abraham Lincoln because it's a lot easier to believe that something is true when we see the proof of it happening right in front of our eyes, isn't it? And yet sometimes we experience, we experience something happening right in front of us and we still question its validity in our lives. Case in point, our scripture today, I want to talk a little bit about the disciples because this is them in our passage of scripture, which comes from the, the book of Mark. We're going to look at chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Mark 6, 45 through 52, if you have your Bibles, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Gospels, right? Or you can follow along with us on the screen right behind us. Mark 6, 45 to 52, and it says this. Immediately after this, I'm going to pause it real quick. I'm going to go back at a point in this message. I'm going to talk about what that this is in that passage. So immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. Some of you know where this is going. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about the skeptic within us all. And as I do, as I, as I read this passage, I keep hanging on one part in particular, and I want to park there with you this morning, church. I want to hone in on those last two verses in this passage. We're going to look at verses 51 and 52. And I think the reason that those two verses in this passage stick out to me is because I naturally want to disassociate myself from the disciples here. I naturally want to just completely disassociate myself from the disciples here. Like, I would never make the same mistake that they made. And yet I believe that we do that thing all the time. That we do just what they did all the time. Albeit unintentionally. And so I want to ask ourselves, as we look at verses 51 and 52, I want us this morning to ask ourselves a few probing questions. And here's the first one. Do I routinely welcome Jesus into my boat? Verse 51, again, it said, then he climbed into the boat. Then Jesus climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally, the disciples, they were totally amazed. When was the last time you allowed Jesus to step into your life vessel and bring calm to your storm or peace to your surroundings? We don't know exactly what that looked like. I mean, Scripture tells us that the wind stopped. But what, what could that have looked like? 
Maybe the entire storm stopped around them. Like the entire storm that was going on just done over, everything's good all, all around them. But maybe Jesus just brought protection to just the boat itself while the storm churned on around them, but not over them. I mean, this is the God that, that parted the Red Sea after all, is it not? Imagine walking with the Israelites in between the walls of water that were the Red Sea. Everything would be tranquil on the path forward, and yet you'd see all this chaos happening in the walls of water on each side of you. It'd be just an incredible sight to behold. And the point is this. If allowed into your boat, maybe Jesus stops the storm going on in your life entirely. Maybe he stops it entirely. Or maybe he brings you peace in the midst of the storm so that you can continue to navigate it. Either way, church, this morning I think it's clear and evident that your life, that our lives are better off with Jesus in our boat. Your boat is better off with Jesus in it. And when we're skeptical of something, it usually takes us experiencing it for ourselves before we decide whether or not it's legit. Like, if we're skeptical of something in our lives, usually, I mean, if we're like, I don't know about that thing, it usually takes us experiencing that thing for ourselves before we can actually make, you know, an educated decision on it for ourselves. You know, recently, uh, one of my best friends, he bought this, this contraption, this thing called a one wheel. Has anybody ever seen one of these before? And so it's, it's like this hybrid, it's like a skateboard with this big giant wheel in the middle. So it's like a hybrid between like a skateboard and a hoverboard. It's this weird thing, but he's like, dude, you have to try this thing out. And, and so he actually came out this way and he brought his one wheel with him. And we were actually in the church parking lot giving this thing a whirl. And how this thing works, you see there's one, there's the back part of the board that sits, against, uh, sits down against the ground. And then the top part of the board kind of sits up into the air. And you have to put your back foot on the spot against the ground. And then the next thing you have to do is put your front foot on the top part and push it down. What's interesting about this, my friend told me, hey, this thing is really cool. When you actually push down on the front of the board with your front foot, it self-balances you. This board will, it will like, it'll read your weight and your distribution of weight and it will self-balance you. I'm like, what kind of, wait a minute, what kind of black magic is this, man? Like, are you just telling me this so that I, like, biff it and I end up with my face on the asphalt? Like, you've got to be kidding. He's like, I'm telling you, this thing will self-balance you. You just have to trust it. And so I tried it, and as I tried it, I realized I was really nervous to put my front foot down. Because that meant putting all of my weight on this board and trusting, A, that my friend wasn't lying to me, but B, that this board was going to self-balance for me. And as I did, I found out very quickly that indeed it does. And if, it's crazy. It's crazy. As you, like you, as you get on this thing, it feels incredible. Like you've never experienced something like, like this when I jumped onto this, this one wheel. But in order for this one wheel to move me, in order for it to move me, this thing that I was super skeptical of, it asked me to put my full weight on it. And once I did, I, could, I then could understand how it moved. I then could understand the way it moved. It balanced me between my feet. Now, there was more balancing that you had to do. You had to figure out how to turn and put your hips into it. But as far as standing on the board, it completely balanced me. And it seemed like magic, almost like I was like floating on this like magic carpet ride or something, right? 
I was, it, it, honestly, as I jumped on this board, it was amazing. See, I love what happens when, when Jesus climbs into the boat, into the disciples' boat, and calms the storm. The very next line says the disciples, they, they were amazed. They were amazed. See, when we take the leap of faith and let Jesus into our lifeboat, and we allow him to work in mighty ways, totally leaning on him with all of our weight, the outcome will be amazing. It can be scary. It can. It can be, it can be totally scary to lean on Jesus because you don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to stay on two feet? Am I going to crash and burn if I trust him with everything that I have? You see, opening your heart and life to Jesus, it takes risk. But I'm here at church this morning to tell you that the ride is totally worth it. The ride is totally worth the risk. And so we do. We ask ourselves that question. Do I routinely welcome Jesus into my boat? Here's the second question I ask myself when I look at that passage. Have I overlooked significant movements of God in my life? Verse 52 again, it said this. For they still, this is the disciples, for the disciples still don't under, didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. See, scholars and theologians translate that last line about their hearts to mean only that the disciples were slow and dull of apprehension. <laughs> that sounds slightly insulting, doesn't it? But that's all that that means. It means that they were slow and dull of apprehension. Not that they were against Christ. Not that their hearts were hardened against Jesus. But that they simply hadn't comprehended what had happened. And while on, the, while on the surface, I believe that makes us want to view the disciples as a bunch of idiots, I instead view it in terms of the majesty of God, that even though his movement in our lives can be so perfectly in view, that even though his, the, his movement in our lives sometimes can be so uninhibited, that it can be right there in front of us, that at times we can still just be dumbfounded by it, like the disciples that we miss where the source of it comes from. See, I, I remember uh, a time in, in college, I had this roommate at the time uh, who was going home for Thanksgiving break. We all went home for Thanksgiving break, but his, uh, his experience was super interesting. He went home for Thanksgiving break, and he actually went to go spend most of that break with his fiance's family. And I remember before he left for the trip, he told me, hey, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm like, I'm having some weird thoughts and feelings surrounding this engagement to her. And I just, man, I hope this weekend just gives me some clarity. And so I'll never forget when we got back from Thanksgiving break. And I go, hey, how'd the weekend go? How'd Thanksgiving break go with, with her family? And, and he starts to tell me this story. He's, he, he tells me that while he's there, he just those thoughts and those feelings just keep swirling within him and in his head. And he's sitting there going... God, is some, what, what are you trying to tell me here? Like something feels wrong or something feels off about marrying this girl. Why would I feel like that? I should be just super happy about this, excited about what's going to take place in our future together. And yet I have this thing that just keeps swirling around in my head. And so he tells me after a whole weekend of these thoughts just continuing to just kind of haunt him, he, uh, he drove home, back home. And as he did so, it was late one night and he actually had a conversation with God in that moment. And in the middle of his conversation, he did something incredibly stupid, if you ask me. But at the same time, he did something that, that just showed incredible faith 
in Jesus in the same regard. He said, God, if uh, you, you know these feelings I've had, you've understood what I'm going through this weekend, God, I, I just, I so badly want just like a, a clear sign and symbol from you. God, if, if I'm not supposed to marry this girl, I pray right now, his eyes are open, he's not praying, he's not driving while his eyes are closed, I pray right now that you would let me, allow me to strike a deer with my car. Actually prayed that. And wouldn't you know, literally the moment he ends his prayer, he strikes a deer with his car and totals it. Literally. He came back to college with no car. His parents dropped him off. And he tells me this story. I'm sitting there like, what? Here's the craziest part about it. The craziest part about it is he still didn't break off his engagement to this girl for another five months. You see, we do this, don't we? Sometimes we see a movement of God, whether it's grandiose or whether it's a little more, whether it's a little smaller or a little more nuanced. We see a movement of God in our lives that, that is right there. And yet sometimes we still miss it because we think we have a better plan or idea of what the right path is. And so this morning I want to look back and see what the disciples overlooked and missed. And so again, verse 52 in Mark 6, verse 52, it references the miracle of the loaves. And that's important. That's super important to this story. So I want to revisit that story with you for a minute. I want to set it up for you. Jesus, so this happens right before, right before our passage that we just read earlier. Right before Jesus walks on water, this is what happens. Jesus and the disciples jump into a boat together and they set off. And they're, they're heading off to a place where they can just be alone and secluded and just pray together. And yet as they're on the water, they see that there was a crowd of people back where they got on the boat that's congregating. And these people saw Jesus get on the boat. And they start, they start multiplying in numbers. And they start running along the shoreline up ahead of where the boat is traveling. Because they want to be where Jesus lands as soon as he gets there. And as Jesus and the disciples see this happening, they're like, oh my gosh, this, I don't think we're going to be secluded anymore. I don't think we're going to be alone. I think this crowd's going to be there. And as they land the boat and all these people descend upon them, Jesus looks out onto the, over the people and, and Scripture tells us that he has compassion for them. Because he sees that they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so in that moment, Jesus starts teaching all of these people that congregated to see him. He starts teaching them. And as the day goes on and the day gets later and later and later, the disciples finally come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, uh, it's, it's, it's getting kind of late. Um, what do you think? I think we should probably send all these people away so that they can go and, and kind of fend for themselves. They're probably hungry. They should probably just go and get their own food, buy their own food at the local market. Let's send them on their way. Jesus says to the disciples, well, why don't you feed them? The disciples kind of look at each other and they're like, us? Uh, with what? You see all these people, Jesus, we would have to work for months just to afford all the food that it, it would need, we would need to feed these people. Like with, what are we supposed to feed them with? And so Jesus says, well, how much bread do you have with you? The disciples, they go and look and they see that they've got five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is where I want to pick up in the story at Mark 6, verses 41 to 44. It says this, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. 
He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate so much. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So check this out. The disciples, they see, they witness Jesus take this bread and split it up. And he keeps dividing it and passing it out and dividing it and passing it out and dividing it and passing it out. And they see that all these people get fed from five loaves and two fish. And yet the disciples miss it. They watch this happen in front of them. And yet scripture tells us that they overlooked it. They didn't comprehend what happened. They somehow missed Jesus working a miracle right in front of their own very eyes. Is that us sometimes? Maybe we don't see Jesus splitting fish in front of our very eyes, but maybe we see him move in other ways. I see, I think that last line of that scripture is really interesting too. It says a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. Super interesting is this. It says a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. You see, it implies that the number of people being fed is actually way more than 5,000. It's it's actually estimated, again, by theologians that between 15 and 20,000 people were fed that day. As if 5,000 wasn't enough to already spark our interest, 15 to 20,000 people were fed that day. And something that sticks out to me about that fact is that there's a good chance that in that group of fifteen to 20,000 people, there's a good chance that not all of those people knew they were being fed as a result of a miracle of Jesus. Fifteen to 20,000 people. You would think that there's some people in there, like news is probably spreading, that Jesus is dividing this bread and it just is multiplying. And yet I bet in a group that big, there are some people that day, whether kids or adults or whatever, they didn't know they were being fed as a result of a miracle. So church, are we ourselves simply unaware of when God is moving in our lives? Do you seek out the source of the good things in your life? Do you seek it out? Maybe you didn't see what happened or what took place to make the good thing happen in your life, but you're just there with that result and it's good. Do you seek out the results of the good things in your life? You see, when I've done so in my own life, the good, it just unmistakably comes from him. At times, I think we can let our propensity for being skeptical blind us from what what God's doing in our very midst. But what if we saw God in everything? What if we saw him in everything? I, I know this sounds like I'm proposing some type of like magical Disney solution, but check this out. In Psalm 40, verse 16, it says this. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. What would that look like to magnify God in your life? Would you catch all those nuances in which God is operating? And would your life naturally reflect Jesus because you're constantly immersed in the Holy Spirit? So church, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you with this. As Christ followers, I believe that we're called to shift from skepticism to trust. That if we find ourselves doubting God's presence in our lives, I believe we can shift our view of God from skepticism into trust by focusing on where God is moving 
instead of focusing on where we perceive he isn't. Here's a simple solution to that. We just simply got to get more alone time with Jesus. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend with the person, the more, we, the more trust we build with them. Isn't that right? There's a relational equity that's developed when we do this that leads to trust. In our every relationship, in our, in our daily lives, right? Like some of the people that we're closest to, we've developed trust with them because we've developed a relational equity with them. We've spent time with them. We've been through things with them. We've experienced life with them. There's a relational equity that's developed. Listen, if we have doubts, do you have doubts? I encourage you, bring them to his throne. You have questions? Ask away. I think we get sucked into thinking that if we have, se- if we have questions, that it's a, it's a bad thing or it means that we have weak faith. But I truly, this morning, church, I believe that the questions or even some doubt, they can be used as instruments to get closer to God. Questions mean you're searching for answers. And Jesus is the best answer you could ever find. I think to times in my own life where I've had questions on my, my personal faith journey. And the answers that I found undeniably led me to seeing God in a new light. Even if it took time for me to understand those answers. Even if they didn't just, didn't just smack me like square in the face, it was like so clear. Sometimes those answers take a while to, to reveal themselves to us, but it was undeniably coming from God, every answer I found. See, just because we don't see it in the moment doesn't mean that God's not working a miracle in our midst. And I bet a lot of you can look back on something that didn't make sense in your life while you were going through it. And yet when you look back at it now, it makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? And we do. We have life experiences where we're going, what, how does, what is happening here? Why does this make sense? Why is this happening now? And then five years later, 10 years later, 20, 30 years later, we look back and we go, it makes perfect sense why I went through that. So church, I want to encourage you again, if we're going to shift our skepticism to trust, I also want to encourage you to make God known in your life. To make God known in your life. To seek him out every day. We get complacent, don't we? We tend to stop looking for him in everything. Specifically, I think there are places where we don't think God will be, and yet there he is. Whether that's outside the boat, walking on water, or in the shadows of the fire, or in the depths of despair. We stop looking for God there, and yet there he is every single time with us. He's there through it all. Are you looking for him, church? We believe God is with us, don't we? That we have access to his Holy Spirit any time, right? Then we got to know that he's accessible and present in everything. He's not just there when we pray. I'm guilty as charged. There's moments in my day where I stop to pray, and it feels like in that moment, all of a sudden, ah, God is here now. And when I say amen, there he goes again, and then it's off to the next thing. God's not just present when we pray in the moment. God's present through it all. So we need to, I believe this, we, myself included, we need to make a point to point him out through our every day, even if it feels like a bad day. This will change your life. Truly, this will change your life. 
That if, if, if in everything, every part of your day, you seek him out and you make him known through that thing, I believe that'll change your life. Make his presence known. Church, this morning, I want to I wrap up with this. I, uh, last time I got to come up here and preach was something we call Youth Sunday, where I got to have a bunch of the students up here doing different things, involved in the service in different ways. But that morning before the service, I was maybe a mile and a half or two miles from my house in my car that morning when all of a sudden I heard this dreaded pop and then <laughs> A lot of you know what that sound is, right, when you're driving. Pops. It's that dreaded sound. You're like, oh, no, not now. And my tire went flat that morning. And I pull off to the side of the road, and I'm like, not now, not now. Why is this happening? How can this be happening? Like, I'm on my way to preach. I got students waiting for me there. I, got, I, can't, oh, I can't do this, God. Why? Why now? I have these thoughts. I have these questions. I have these doubts about the moment. I sit there and I'm like, what do I got? I, got, I got to let somebody know. I got to let somebody know that if I'm going to be there, I'm probably going to be there and complete. It was raining, by the way. It was, I'm going to be there in like drenched, dirty clothes. I'm going to like, I'm going to like uh, meander up on stage looking like, I don't know, I just came out of a back alley or something, just completely dirty. I got to let somebody know that if I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it right before I preach probably. So I, call, I think to call up Pastor Ron, obviously, first one I think of. Ron, hey, here's the deal. This is what's going on. And in that moment, I'm sitting there going, again, why, how could this be happening right now? Everything was going smoothly, I'm excited for this morning, and yet there's this wrench thrown in things. Yet Ron, uh, he suggests something. He goes, hey, listen, easy. Why don't I come out to you? I'll change your tire. You take my car to the church. You just get there. I'll change your, car. I'll change your tire, and then I'll bring your car back to the, to the church. You could drive it away from there. I'm like, Yes! I'm an idiot. You're a genius. Let's do this. So he comes. He comes out. He gives me his car. He stays and changes my tire, and I get here uh, in, in time to preach and, and meet with the students before. And it was, off, it was awesome and perfect, and it was great. But as I, as I look back on that, I see a moment in which I was just questioning everything, a, a moment in which I had doubts about whether or not I was going to be able to get here and do what I thought I was supposed to do that morning. And yet perspective matters, doesn't it? Plain and simple, perspective matters. I, as I look back on that later that day, I realized that, gosh, I got to see Pastor Ron here just ex- display compassion in a way where he cared more about the Bridgeway team winning than he did about his own self that morning. He made a sacrifice so that the team, the church, I thought could win. Then I thought, I sit there and think, I almost took the other vehicle this morning. And if I had done so, my then pregnant wife and my three-year-old daughter would have been driving in that vehicle when the car, when the, when the tire popped. And then your thoughts go all over the place. I sit there and I go, this was supposed to happen. It was meant to happen. Perspective matters, doesn't it? So my prayer this morning is this. Is, is, the worship band's going to lead us in more worship here in just a moment. My prayer this morning is that we all take on a perspective of God in life that leads us to be quick to trust him. It leads us to be quick to trust in his plan. That we continue to learn to trust God more through life experience with him. That we make the decision to highlight the ways God is present in our everyday. I pray for that perspective for myself. And I pray that we'll all continue to take our chances with Jesus in our boat. As Lord of our lives. 
Church, this week, will you take on a mindset? Will you take on a mindset of expectation that God is moving and that God will move? What's one thing we can do this week? What's one thing that we can do this week to take risk and to put our full weight on Jesus, trusting him through everything? And then beyond the week, what if we figured out what that next faith step is in our journey? in order to trust just fully and wholly in him. Maybe for you, that leap of faith and trust is getting baptized. I brought up baptism service earlier. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you're like, this is it. No, I, gotta, I can't run anymore. This is the moment that I've got to declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. And I, need, I, I gotta have people see this. I have to tell that to people. Maybe it's praying for your enemy. Maybe it's finally making that, that move professionally that God's been calling you to make, but you're scared to do it. Don't be skeptical of him, but be courageous with him. So church, will you take on a mindset that highlights his sovereignty in your life? And will you do it right now in this moment as we continue to worship him together? Because we do, we have an opportunity to worship him together this morning. You recognize that he's here. What does that mean to you? Do you recognize that he's present? How does that impact you? you take on a posture of worship as we continue to look to him this morning and say, God, you're in control. I trust you through it. I want to lean on you more. Let's do this thing called life together. Church, will you pray with me? Father God, I just, uh, I am, I'm grateful this morning that you give us opportunities to to figure out who you are in our lives. God, that you give us opportunities to learn and and see that you're present in everything. God, that you give us opportunities to, uh, to trust in who you are through some of the stuff that we don't understand or the stuff that doesn't quite make sense. God, we still get to see who you are. So God, I'm grateful for that moment this morning. I'm grateful for the moment that you put before us. God, I, my prayer this morning is that we wouldn't miss it, that we wouldn't overlook it. God, that we wouldn't be too dull of apprehension to be dumbfounded by it. But God, that this morning, your presence would just be so magnificent and glorious to us that we can't help but praise and worship you. God, my prayer is that, is that we continue to look for you in everything. God, we continue to look for you in everything. God, we do. We praise and worship you knowing that you are with us all the time. God, that you have plans that are so great, even if there's not great parts to it, God, your plans are so great. So God, we just step into that this morning with confidence. We praise and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.